thank you all again for being with us here on Easter Sunday at River Oaks. Welcome to those of you also joining us online today. I want to mention to you that next week is a special week in the life of our church. I hope you'll be able to come back join us then. It's the Sunday when we celebrate local ministry opportunities. One of the core values of our church is to be mission-minded. That is, we're focused on the needs of people outside the walls of our church, both locally and around the world. And next week, we're going to focus on opportunities available to us here locally. Another upcoming event uh, that I know many of you will participate in is our annual 5K race held on May the 13th, day before Mother's Day. If you're not a runner, you can even walk this race. And the, the proceeds of this race uh, go to benefit the Winston-Salem Rescue Mission. It's always one of the local ministries that uh, gains the proceeds from this race every year. So uh, also, lastly, I'll call your attention to your bulletin you got on the way in. Some of you can are, are accessing it online. We always appreciate your leaving us the ham here card, whether you do it online or fill out the paper form and drop it in the basket when you leave. And there is an outline of the message on the back if that is helpful to you to follow along. Now, would you join me as we pray? Father, we come today in the wonderful name of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, our risen Lord Jesus Christ, who is alive today. Father, I pray for those joining us this morning. I pray that you would meet the great diversity of needs represented by the people here as well as those online. Father, for those in the need of comfort and grief, healing and pain, those in need of your direction and guidance, Lord, whatever is needed, I ask today that you would bring it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now as we open your holy word, would you open our eyes to behold your truth so that this day we would grow to know you better and love you more. And we pray in your great name. Amen. Thank you again for being here on this Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus is absolutely essential to the Christian faith. So essential, in fact, that the Apostle Paul wrote these words. If Christ has not been risen, your faith is useless. It is futile. The resurrection of Jesus holds together the many claims and promises that he made. Why is it essential? What does the resurrection of Jesus provide for our faith? The resurrection of Jesus, first of all, provides evidence for the truthfulness of his words. We're going to be looking this morning at the Gospel of Luke chapter 24, the last chapter in the Gospel of Luke. There are three separate conversations in this chapter. The first one occurs at the empty tomb where Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and other women had gone in Jewish tradition with uh, burial spices to the tomb. They'd found it empty, and there was an angel. And the angel spoke to Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the others and said this, He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise, and they remembered his words. Note what the angel says. 
Remember how he told you? He promised this. He predicted this. Now, if someone tells you something that's untrue about one matter, (laughs) it makes you doubt the other things they say. Is that right? Have you ever gone out to make a large purchase, maybe a car or a a large appliance, you've done your research before you go, and the sales rep starts talking when you get there and says something to you that you know is not accurate. Well, it certainly makes you doubt everything else that person says, doesn't it? Jesus' resurrection provides evidence for the truthfulness of his words because he predicted his resurrection. He was very specific about it. Jesus, throughout his ministry, made extraordinary claims. He said, for example, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A very exclusive claim extraordinary claims he made about himself. He also made extraordinary promises and predictions. For example, about his own resurrection from the grave. We read in Luke chapter 18 that Jesus said to his disciples, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, he's very specific in his prediction, and after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise. Jesus predicted his resurrection. If what he said about his resurrection was not true, it cast doubt on his other predictions and the many claims that he made. But if the resurrection did occur, it provides remarkable evidence for the truthfulness of all of his words. And the resurrection was attested by many, many witnesses, not just the first apostles, not just Mary and the other women who went to the tomb, not just the apostle Paul later in his life, but Paul himself writes in the book of 1 Corinthians that Jesus on one occasion appeared to over 500 people at once. Many of those, Paul says, are still alive today. Resurrection was witnessed by many, and if it occurred, it provides evidence for the truthfulness of all the words of Jesus. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus provides completion of the salvation that he provides for us. While the first large conversation in Luke 24 occurs outside the empty tomb. The second one occurs on the road to a place called Emmaus. Two disciples were walking down that road, were given one of their names, Cleopas, this person's name, and the risen Lord Jesus joins them on their walk toward Emmaus, and they don't recognize him, and he does not reveal himself to be who he is. He engages them in conversation and says to them these words, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures concerning the things concerning himself. Notice what Jesus says to them. 
wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer, but not only suffer, also enter into his glory, referring to, of course, his resurrection and beyond. On the cross, Jesus paid for our sins. He took our place. He bore our judgment. He became the Lamb of God slain for us. He became our great substitute. But Jesus does more than just atone for our sins. He saves us from something into something. And that something is his own resurrection life. Jesus in his death and resurrection provides forgiveness from sin and life, newness of life now and eternal life with God. The apostle Peter wrote about this in 1 Peter chapter 3 in the words you see on the screen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. Put to death in the flesh, he pays for our sins. Made alive in the spirit, he brings us to God. He saves us from something into something, newness of life. We just had a couple of baptisms a moment ago once the water cooled down. <clears throat> and uh, the Apostle Paul writes about something that's signified in baptism. We read it in Romans chapter 6, and it's really worth noting as we think about the resurrection. He writes these words, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Jesus saves us from something, sin, guilt, judgment, for our sins. But he saves us into something, newness of life. And in eternity, we'll be united with him in a resurrection like his. So the resurrection of Jesus provides not only evidence for the truthfulness of his words. It's more than just a great witness of his many claims and promises. The resurrection completes the salvation Christ has provided because he saves us from something into something. Newness of life, resurrection life, life with him now in the here and now and in all of eternity. Thirdly, the resurrection provides for us a new hope. As this conversation is unfolding on the Emmaus Road, one of these two disciples, who again does not yet recognize Christ, says to Jesus, are you the only visitor of Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Notice what they'd been hoping for. Now, these two disciples, only one of us named Cleopas, they're walking with Jesus on the Emmaus Road. We learn later when they go back to tell the apostles what has happened, that they were people who were familiar with Christ. They referred to him as the Lord. They had probably heard him teach. 
and been around him previously. They just didn't yet recognize him in his resurrected state on the Emmaus Road. But notice, though they'd been around Christ, what their great hope was for. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yeah, but now he's been crucified. Their hope had been dashed. Like many Jews of their time, their hope was that the Messiah was going to set up an earthly kingdom, that the Messiah would overthrow Roman rule and, quote, redeem Israel. But their hopes had been dashed with his death. It's a reminder given to us that the hope given us in the gospel, in the resurrection of Christ, is not a mere earthly hope for a mere earthly kingdom. I'm afraid there are many Christians who treat the gospel as something primarily to give us an earthly hope. Better marriage, better job, more money, a better national environment for us Christians. These things may happen and praise God if they do. But none of those is the great hope of the gospel what the Apostle Peter calls a living hope. You see these words from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4 that spell it out beautifully. We sang about this living hope a moment ago. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Ultimately, the things we put our hope in on this earth are perishable, defiled, and unfading, but Christ through his resurrection has brought us into something that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is what Peter calls a living hope. This is the hope into which the resurrection of Jesus brings you and me. In a recent article on the resurrection, Pastor Tim Keller wrote about how the New Testament uses the word hope in two different ways. He notes that when hope is in a human being or in ourselves, in others or ourselves, it's always relative. It's uncertain. Uh, he calls it hope-so-hope. If you lend money to someone, you hope they're going to pay you back. Uh, if you're a farmer and you plant seed, you do so in hopes of a, of a nice crop. Relative hope, hope so hope. But he notes, in the New Testament, when the object of our hope is God, hope means confidence, certainty, full assurance. As the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. As the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 6, such hope, because Christ has gone before us, is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. In reflecting on this, Tim Keller, who is undergoing treatment for pancreatic cancer, writes these words. A person who gets a diagnosis of cancer will rightly put relative hope in doctors and medical treatment, but the main source of dependence must be upon God. 
we can have certainty that his plan and will for us is always good and perfect and that the inevitable destiny is resurrection. If a cancer patient's main hope lies in medicine, then an unfavorable report will be devastating. But if that hope is in the Lord, it will be like a mountain that cannot be shaken or moved. Isaiah 40, 31 says, those who hope in the Lord are not anxiously holding on, but always renewing their strength and even soaring. Hope in God leads to, quote, running and not growing weary and walking and not being faint. Jesus has secured this for us by his death and resurrection. This is the new hope, the living hope, into which the resurrection of Jesus brings us. And the New Testament assures us that there are two things in this hope of which we can be certain regarding our future. The first is this, that one day those who are in Christ will receive just as Jesus did, an imperishable body. You know, the third conversation in Luke 24 takes place when Jesus shows up in a room with the apostles and they're shocked when they see him because they thought he was a ghost or a mere spirit. Apparently, he had just walked right through the door in his resurrected body. And he assured them he was not a ghost, not a mere spirit being, but he said, touch me and, and see, feel the body. He said, have you got anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it. He was trying to show them that he had risen bodily from the grave. He wasn't a mere ghost or a mere spirit. The Apostle Paul tells us that there will come a day when believers will receive a resurrection body like his an imperishable and immortal body. The Apostle Paul writing about the resurrection says, this perishable body must put on the imperishable. I tell you, the older I get, the more appreciative I am of this. <laughs> this mortal body must put on immortality. Praise the Lord, that will be great. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Paul also writes, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, referring to Adam, in our aging, deteriorating physical bodies, he says, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. We will have a new body like Christ. We'll eat and drink. This body will be immortal, imperishable. This living hope includes an imperishable body, Furthermore, this living hope includes an eternal home. In this world, there is much beauty. Can you think of some of the most beautiful places you've ever been? Maybe in the mountains, maybe looking at the beauty of the ocean. The beauty of this world, though it's a great gift to us from God, is nothing like what the new creation the eternal home will be like. John the Apostle gets a glimpse of it in the book of Revelation when he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is something God's preparing for his people. 
he's using his beautiful creativity and his artistic ability and he's preparing something. Jesus spoke of this when he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Jesus, before he went to the cross, told his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Those are beautiful words. What would make heaven heaven is not the extraordinary beauty or the absence of pain or suffering or the many unspeakably wonderful things there. What will make heaven heaven is the presence of the Lord himself. I will take you to be with me that where I am you may also be. The living hope of the gospel <clears throat> into which Jesus has brought us by his resurrection from the grave includes both an imperishable body, an immortal body for believers, and eter an eternal home for believers. So what does the resurrection of Jesus provide? Well, it provides evidence for the truthfulness of his words, for one. But it also completes the salvation that he's provided for us, saving us from something, our sin, into something, newness of life in him, with him. Furthermore, the resurrection provides this new hope, this living hope, an imperishable body and an eternal home. So what does it take to get there? We're used to thinking that you got to do something to get something wonderful. That's just the way our minds typically work. What does it take to get there? What would it take to live in this eternal home? You know, I learned something last week. Do you know there is actually a place in our world today where if you want to live there, if you want to reside there, if you want to make it your home, you have to first have a surgery and have your appendix removed. I'm not making this up. I didn't read this on some crazy website. I did read it on the British Broadcasting Corporation, but for, for whatever that's worth, the BBC reports that there is a place, you'll see some pictures of it, called Vias Las Estrellas, Antarctica. It is so incredibly remote, the writer of the article says it's probably the closest thing on earth to living on another planet. It is so distant. Even the penguins will right, walk right up to you because they've not learned to be afraid of human beings. I'm not sure who made this a law uh, for this particular place, but the rationale is simply that they are just too far from any hospital for anyone to make it there in time if they should need an appendectomy. And so this applies not only to adults, but to children. It's also strongly encouraged that anyone living there get pregnant. Sacrifice to live in this place, surgical sacrifice. But when it comes to our eternal home, Jesus Christ the Lord made the complete sacrifice. It is finished, 
It is paid for. It is done. The salvation offered to us by Christ is free because it would not be possible for us to do enough, to serve enough, to give enough, to sacrifice enough, to earn it, to warrant it, to deserve it. What Christ has done in his death and resurrection calls for us to respond in one way, and that is with faith. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice the emphasis on the resurrection. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Faith. Faith. Not religious works. Paul writes to the Ephesians, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's not based on the level of giving or serving or sacrifice or ritual you undergo. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, someone may wonder, well, does that mean then I've just got to say Jesus is Lord, because that verse you had up a minute ago says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. I can say Jesus is Lord. Is that all that's necessary? When we interpret a verse in the Bible, it's always important to interpret it in its context and in its setting. When the Apostle Paul wrote those words to the Romans, he was writing to a world in which to openly confess Jesus is Lord rather than Caesar is Lord could be very, very costly indeed. What does it mean to say Jesus is Lord? It's more than mere intellectual assent. That is, it's more than just agreeing to facts that Jesus really lived. It's more than saying empty words. It expresses devotion of the heart it implies in Scripture surrender to his lordship. When Jesus, during that third conversation in Luke 24, made himself known in that room with the apostles and ate the piece of broiled fish, when Thomas, who we call Doubting Thomas, who'd said, I won't believe unless I see and see the nail prints, when he realized who he was, the bodily risen Lord. He said, my Lord and my God. He believed, and in his belief, there was the acknowledgement of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When I was a freshman in college, it's toward the end of my first year, I think it was March 20th of my first year of college, I was sitting in the undergraduate library in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and someone I knew from my dormitory walked over and he began to talk to me. He had had an encounter with someone who told him about Jesus, and he began to talk to me about it and asked me about my own faith. And I said, well, I grew up in church. I've always believed in God. And if asked, I would call myself a Christian. But he pushed a little more. And he drew a little drawing with a, just a pencil on a piece of paper, and it wasn't as elaborate as the one you see on the screen. He just drew a circle with what looked like a chair in the middle of it. He said, David, this 
consider for a moment that this represents your life and, and, and the chair represents a throne. Whoever's sitting on the throne is Lord of the life. That is, this one is in the, the driver's seat. And he put a cross just on the outside of the life because I'd said, yeah, I believe in Christ, I believe in Jesus. I might even call myself a Christian. But all the interest in life, the little dots are sitting around the one on the throne and the S represented self. And then he drew another picture, just sketched out a circle. On, and on, on this throne, he put a cross to represent Jesus with the life revolving around Christ. Jesus in the driver's seat, Jesus is Lord rather than self. He said, David, honestly, now, which one do you think represents your life? And I said, well, I think I'd have to say right now, it's myself on the throne, not Jesus. He said, which one do you think God wants it to be? And I said, well, <laughs> I think it's Jesus on the throne. And he led me in a little prayer. I don't remember what he said or I said, but that day my life began to change in a, in a wonderful way. And it may be that you're here today or even joining us online, and this is the decision you need to make. You've been an, elect, an intellectual believer in Jesus. But if you're really honest, you'd have to say, he's not my Lord. He's not on the throne of my life. I do what I want to do, and, you know, he's out there. I'd like to give you the opportunity before we close today to take that step of faith if you're ready. If you genuinely believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins and has been raised from the dead to bring you into newness of life, if you're willing to follow him by acknowledging him as Lord, I wouldn't want to miss the opportunity for you to do that while you're here this morning. So would you join me now as we pray? Father, <clears throat> thank you for your presence with us today. I pray that the Holy Spirit work in the life of every person who is not truly joined to you in saving faith, that you would work in each person who needs your salvation, bringing him or her to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's you, and you need to take that step of faith, I invite you to join me in a, a prayer using these simple words right where you are. Dear God, I do believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins and was raised from the dead. Lord, I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Jesus, be my Savior and my Lord. Please take the throne of my life and make me your follower this day.